there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. There are two Bible readings this morning. The first is from Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. The parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The second is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Treasure in clay jars. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Well, there you go. Stunning reader today, don't you think? And if you don't know me, I'm Brian. That was my wife, if you were kind of wondering why I was saying that. Uh, so I'm Brian Harris, who is Pastor Lodge here at Kerry. And my privilege to unpack uh, these two parables that Rosemary read to us first, a uh, parable of, of finding the kingdom of heaven. How many of you are lotto people? Uh, I mean, there was a day when that would be confessing a sin to kind of say that you bought a lotto ticket because that's kind of gambling, but it's kind of charitable now because lots of the money goes to charitable things. But so, so, so if you don't mind being judged by everyone, how, how many of you are lotto people, kind of buy your lotto tickets? Oh, not very many. We're not going to get very wealthy quickly here at, at Kerry, but so this, this, this might not work then. So, so those of you who are, I mean, don't you kind of, do that because you just desperately hope that you're going to win one day. And you think, wow, if I were to find this, that would really change everything. And, and this idea of kind of finding treasure, it, it's, it's part of being human in some ways. You, you know, just deeply hoping that one day something will happen and our lives will change forever. When, when I was a kid, I used to go scurrying around in the garden and digging everywhere. And, and one day when I was digging, I found a little old rusty tin and in that tin, there was a banknote, and was a banknote of a currency I'd never seen before. And I showed it to my parents, and they said, don't know what this is either, so they said, take it to the bank and see what they say. So I took this banknote to the bank, and they said, oh, this is no currency that, that, that we know, sorry, we can't give you anything for it. But there was a man in the line uh, waiting at the bank, and he said, oh, let me have a look at that. And he looked at it, and he said, I'll give you, and he, he, he offered me the equivalent of what today I guess would be about $10, and I 
I said, yes, thank you. I gave him the banknote, I took, took, took the $10, and I was absolutely ecstatic. And now I wonder, I wonder, I think, oh, did I give away something that was so valuable for $10? I mean, I don't know, maybe he was just a kind man, maybe, maybe he was. Uh, Maybe he was a complete rogue, and maybe he's not flying around in a jet all over the world thanks to the banknote that I've... I don't know, I don't know. But, but this idea of treasure, sometimes it comes to... And, and Jesus tells, tells a parable. The first of his parables is about a man, and he literally is just working in a field. And as he's working in the field, boom, he clunks onto something. Maybe a shovel goes down, hits, hits a tin, whatever it is. And he opens it up, and he can't believe it. It's a tin of treasure. And, and he's found it, and he's absolutely ecstatic. And he rushes away, he quickly buries it so that no one else can spot it. He rushes away and he buys that field, knowing that if he owns the field, he owns the treasure as well. Because if he took it from the field without owning the field, it could have been considered theft. But he owns the field, so it's his. And he's ecstatic about it. And Jesus says that for some people, finding the kingdom of heaven is like that. I mean, the, the, the actual situation that Jesus is talking about is one that his listeners would easily be able to imagine. People often kind of offered themselves for a day's work if they didn't have enough work or uh, needed, need, need some money. They go work in a field for a day. And this man was obviously doing that. Uh, that's why it wasn't his own field. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't unheard of for people to bury treasure in fields because especially if your property lay in the outskirts of, 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 of the land, uh, marauding, raiding parties would come on through. And this was a day long before banks or anything else like that. And when they came through, they just stole everything that they, they could find. Uh, and so people, if they had any treasure, anything worthwhile, would quite often bury it and bury it reasonably deeply in the ground. They would know where it was. But of course, life being what it is, death doesn't always come at a predictable moment. And people would sometimes die having told no one where they'd buried their treasure. And it would just lie there, sometimes for generation after generation after generation. It, I mean, it wasn't the sort of thing that happened kind of every Monday, but it was something that happened from enough times for people to kind of dream about it. And it's that, it's that that Jesus is tapping into. You can just imagine this happening, and you can imagine this man rushing off, buying the field, and being ecstatic, and his life changes forever. And Jesus says, you know what? The kingdom of heaven is like that. You, you, you kind of weren't expecting it. You're just kind of going about your daily business, and suddenly you discover God. And as you discover God and you discover all that that means, you, your life has just changed forever. And then he says another parable, and he says, and, and the kingdom of heaven is also like someone who goes in search of a fine pearl, a merchant who's, who, who kind of knows what's valuable in pearls, and he's, he knows that somewhere out there is just this, this perfect pearl, and he searches, and he searches, and he searches, and he searches, and it takes him forever, but ultimately he finds this wonderful pearl that he's always been looking for, and when he spots it, he goes and he sells everything that he has to, to buy that pearl. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven and finding the kingdom of heaven is like that. And, and, and the parables are obviously fairly similar, but there is a, a bit of a difference, and I'm sure that you've noticed the difference. And, and, and the key difference is this. For, for the one man, it's kind of he stumbles upon it. It wasn't actually what he was looking for. He suddenly spots it and, and he gets it. Uh, for the other man, it comes after a long search. And I, and I think Jesus is saying that, that, that finding the kingdom of heaven comes in different ways to people. For some people, it's just like easy. 
And, and some of you, if you think of your own journey to, to, to finding God, some of you know it, it was actually just easy. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe in your early childhood years, you just said yes to Jesus. It was never a great struggle. It was never a great angst. That's something inside you just knew that was always the right thing. And saying yes to Jesus, yep, that, 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 that's what you did. And others of you, oh my goodness, your life has gone through many, many difficult paths. And it's been a long, long, hard search. And at the end of a very, very long search, you've come to discover this pearl of great price. And you realize when you find it, this is actually what I've always been looking for. And of course, it's possible that there's some people here today. You're still in that searching phase. You're still in that, 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 that looking phase. Now, when Jesus tells parables, I don't know if you've ever noticed, there is sometimes a but that's not entirely fair uh, part to it. I mean, there is a little bit of a that's not fair part to this parable, isn't there? I mean, is it fair that some people have to really search hard to find God, uh, that they go through many difficult struggles, that their life takes all kinds of hard and, and tough turns, and then eventually they find God, while other people, like, it's just as easy as, and it comes you know, almost from the moment of birth. You know, what's fair about that? And, and if you're talking about unfair, I mean, spare a thought for that man who owned the field and didn't realize the treasure was in it. I mean, what did he think when he sold the field and then suddenly the person who bought it said, oh my goodness, look what I found in the field. And suddenly he was able to buy up, you know, 50 other fields as well. I mean, how did that man feel? You know, my goodness, that's unfair. Why didn't I notice that? And, and, and so you, you can kind of look at, at, uh, at these parables and say, is that entirely fair? And Jesus quite often does that in the parables that, that, that he tells. Take, take, for example, Matthew chapter 25, the, the parable that we sometimes call the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold, where Jesus says, you, you know, there was, there was a, a master, he went away on a long journey, and he left his servants three bags of gold. One, he left five bags of gold. One, he left two bags of gold. One, he left one bag of gold. And he said, come, you, you, you make something of this, and I'll, I'll call you to account when I get back. And you can sit back and you can look at that parable and you can say, oh, they're all expected to get a whole heap from this, but one gets given five, one gets given two, one gets given one. What, what's fair about that? You, you, you know, they just don't all get given the same amount. And fair enough, it is like that, isn't it? Or it's not necessarily just in parables. Uh, take Acts chapter 12. Have you ever thought about Acts chapter 12? Uh, it's, it's that, that wonderful account of Peter being miraculously released from jail. I mean, he's been imprisoned for his faith. Uh, it looks as though a tough period lies ahead for, for him. The church is praying. An angel comes and sets him free from jail. And you say, wonderful miracle. And, and it is a wonderful miracle. Except, 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 I mean, Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 tell us that James had been imprisoned and was beheaded. Oops, tough for James. I mean, lovely for Peter that he got the miracle. James, off with his head. Thank you very much. I mean, it's, so, so, so if your sense of justice is everyone gets the same thing, uh, the way that the story in the Bible unfolds doesn't pander to that at all. Uh, and, and, and I think perhaps Jesus' answer, you, 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 you get the closest to Jesus giving an answer in John chapter 21. It's, it's Jesus reinstating Peter after Peter's denied him three times. And after Peter's denied him three times, uh, Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Do, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, Peter do you love me? Feed my sheep. And, and then he predicts to Peter that he's going to die for following Jesus. 
And he predicts actually that he's going to be crucified upside down, which is what happened to Peter. And, and he predicts the manner of his death. And it's a very, very sober moment as Jesus says, you, you, you must feed my sheep and ultimately you're going to be killed for following me. You're going to be crucified for following me. That's what's going to happen to you. And, and Peter hears that. And, and as he hears that, John walks by and Peter says, Lord, what about him? What about him? It's as though Peter said, well, if I'm going to die, I hope that he has to do at least the same thing as well. I mean, it wouldn't be fair if it was just me, uh, you know, not him. You know, so what's, what's going to happen to him? And, and, and Jesus says, what is that to you? What is that to you? You follow me. And, and, and it's an extraordinary statement. It's a very profound statement. Jesus is saying, we all have different stories to live. You live your story. We all have different stories to live. You, you live your story. And life doesn't go that everyone gets exactly the same piece of the pie. And some get five bags of gold and some get two bags of gold and some get one bag of gold. And some have fields that have treasure in and sell the field without realizing what they're doing. And that's life, says Jesus. That's life. But how you respond to what God is doing to you, that's, that's your responsibility. So, so someone has said, that we are not responsible for the face God gives us at our birth. We are not responsible for the face God gives us at our birth, but we are for the one we have by the time we're 50. For by the time we're 50, we've shaped our faces by the way we've smiled, frowned or scowled, and that is always within our own power. And I think that that's very true. And, 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 and you see, Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to get into this, why doesn't everyone get exactly the same thing question. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to tell you that somehow God is in it. Get over it. Live your life. Live your life. And yes, some people, that's the way it is. It's hard struggle. It's just very, very, very hard struggle. Every day and every night, some are born to sweet delight. Some are born to sweet delight. Some are born to endless night. Don't know, don't know if, you, if, if you know, I think it's a Tennyson poem. And, and some are born to endless night. Some are born to sweet delight. It, it's the way it is. For some people, life involves a great deal of struggle. Other people, it comes a lot more easily. But you just live the life that God gives you. And you live it faithfully, the life that God gives you. Having said that, as you look through these parables, there are some things that they do have in common. It doesn't matter whether you're the man who buys the, 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 the treasure in the field or, you, or, or it doesn't matter if you're the pearl merchant. It says, Jesus, if you're going to come and if you're going to live in the kingdom of heaven, and incidentally, just a little technical point, if you, if you wonder why Matthew's gospel talks about the kingdom of heaven and the other gospels talk about the kingdom of God, uh, it's because Matthew's gospel was written to a Jewish audience. And Jews tried as far as is possible, just because of their great reverence for God, they tried to avoid saying the name of God. So they would speak about the kingdom of heaven, because if you spoke about the kingdom of heaven, then you didn't have to say the name of Yahweh, because Yahweh's name was so holy and so revered that you tried to avoid saying it. But because uh, Mark and Luke, for example, go to a Gentile readership, well, kingdom of heaven didn't mean anything to them, so, so the writers then accommodate and say, we speak about the kingdom of God. Let me not sidetrack. So, 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 so here we go. Jesus is saying, you, you, you want to be part of the kingdom of heaven? Well, for both these men, it costs them everything that they have. That, 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 that's the refrain. It costs them everything. Let's actually look at the parable again and hear what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Everything he had. It's, it's something that's really valuable. It costs us everything. And, and I think that in Jesus saying that, he's, he's just reminding us that the cost of being part of the kingdom of heaven is that the ownership of everything that you have shifts from you to God. The ownership of everything that you have shifts from you to God. I mean, just try and put it back in terms of, of this parable more specifically. So these men go, here's a man, he's just found treasure in a field, and we're told that he has to sell everything to be able to afford the field. Now, now I don't know, I, I, I'm now in my early 60s, and so that, that R word becomes the word that people start to ask me more and more. Are you going to retire sometime soon? And when people ask about their retirement word, I kind of thought, well, goodness, I haven't really thought about this, but you kind of think, can I afford it? And so uh, a while back, I went through this little exercise of, so how much are we worth? And uh, it's quite interesting to do that because, I mean, you, you, you start out thinking, well, I'm worth what I've got in my bank account. In other words, not very much. And then you think, oh, I've got some superannuation funds, so I've got to throw them in. Not very much still, but nevertheless, there's something there. And then you think, oh, well, I suppose we do, do have this house, so there's something there. And then you remember a few shares that you got, and then you remember, okay, we've actually got some stuff from South Africa that we're still trying to get out of South Africa 25 years later. Uh, you know, maybe one day we'll succeed. You know, we still own those things there. And, and, and you start to piece together everything that you own, and, and you realize that, that, that actually when you do that exercise, actually my car has a value. Actually, believe it or not, my clothes have a value. Not much, but anyway, some value. And, and, and you're going through it, and you, you realize that actually all of us have a great deal. And uh, the parable is saying they sold everything that they had. They, they, there wasn't anything that they held on to, but to get this treasure in the field, or to get this pearl of great price, they were willing to sell it all. And it's a reminder of how extraordinarily, value, how extraordinarily valuable it is to find the kingdom of heaven or to find the kingdom of God. And so what would Jesus' hearers have thought about when they heard of the kingdom of heaven? Well, as Jewish hearers, they would have thought about the coming of the Messiah. And they would have thought of a kingdom, in other words, a place where, where God reigns. And they would have thought, so, so, so what does it mean to find the kingdom of heaven? To, to find the kingdom of heaven is to live in that place where, where Messiah reigns and we, we, where the Messiah guides everything that you do. And where God is in charge of everything. And when you actually know that ultimately, I don't own my life, I'm not in charge of my life. It, it's ultimately God's and everything that I do falls under God's overview. It, it's to know that actually I live as part of a larger life, the life of God. And says Jesus, if you're going to be part of the kingdom of heaven, you, you have to decide who has the ownership, who has the ownership. It will cost you everything. Because actually, if you're going to have Jesus as king, if you have Jesus as Lord, it does mean that somehow you sign the title deeds of your life over to him and you say, Jesus, this is actually yours. And that can be an extraordinarily hard thing to do. Because, I mean, we sense that the kingdom of heaven is valuable. But, oh my goodness, it does require change from us. It requires a change of attitude to our own lives. Am I in charge of my life or is God in charge of my life? That, 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 that's a fundamental question. Now, now, quite often, people speak about following Jesus as though it's a nice little add-on to your life. You, you know, it would be lovely to follow Jesus. Just think about everything that you've got in your life. Now, is there space for, for another friendship? Is there space for another relationship? Have a relationship with Jesus. Add that on. And, and, and when we think in those terms, we think in terms of adding Jesus to what we already have. But that's not how the gospel works. The, 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 the gospel works about handing our life back to God and saying, God, ultimately, 
you are in charge of everything. You own my life. It, it actually costs everything. There is a very beautiful story that's told it's true. If some of you who know the life of Francis of Assisi would know that as God started to work in his life, he became more and more committed to the work that God was doing in the world. And his father, uh, St. Francis' father, was a very wealthy uh, merchant. He used to sell, sell very fine cloth. And Francis, in his earlier stages, had been part of his father's business. And as God works in his life, Francis becomes more and more committed to the work of the church. And one day, he, he sells some, some of his father's linen, and he, he gives it to help rebuild a church. And so he give, gives all that money away. But he doesn't actually ask his father first. And when his father discovers what Francis has done, he is furious. But he's actually more than furious. He is besides himself with rage. And he, in fact, takes to, he, he reports it to the authorities, and he has his son accused of theft. So this was a serious father-son rift. That the son has sold some, some of the cloth from, from, from the business, uh, given it to, to the church to help rebuild it. Father has him, him, him kind of arrested and tried for theft. And Francis is devastated. I mean, he's absolutely devastated at what has taken place. And he finds a way to return all this money to his father. But then in one of the, the most moving accounts of, in history, we're told that Francis faces his father and he strips him, uh, Francis strips completely naked, hands his clothes back to his father and simply walks out into the night saying, naked I go to meet the naked Christ. And all of history really changes on that particular day because St. Francis made the most enormous impact in the life of the church. But it started in that, that, that little act of just saying, I can't have anything of my own life left. And Father, you've given me what you've given me. I give you everything back, even the clothes that I wear. And I walk out with absolutely nothing. And I simply trust that God will look after me. And God did. And God did. But it begins in that simple place of saying, it costs everything. The ownership of everything goes back to God. Now, now, now you may say, Brian, this sounds wonderfully theoretical. Uh, it sounds nice, but, but, but in practice, we all know that this doesn't happen. I mean, I've got a mortgage, I've got a job, I've got kids to feed. Uh, you know, it's just not, I don't just give up everything and, and that's it. Nothing's ever quite the same again. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I get that. But let's remember that this parable is saying to us that actually the ownership rights, when, when you say yes to Jesus, when you embrace and say, I'm going to be part of the kingdom, when we respond to God's invitation to us, the ownership of that moves to God. Now, now he might not call that in straight away. He might never call it in. But God still has the rights to it. You see, it's about who actually owns it. Perhaps I can give you an illustration. So I used to, many years ago, be a pastor in New Zealand. And the church that we were in, Mount Roscoe Baptist Church, we were growing, was a lovely time. And we wanted to buy some office space for the churches because we had had some office space that could be made part of the auditorium. We needed a bit more space in the church auditorium, so we did that, and we bought a house next to the church, and that was going to be the offices. But we didn't really have enough money at the time to buy it. And a member of the church very generously said, okay, well, um, rather than the church taking out a mortgage to be able to uh, kind of fund this house, I'll give you an interest-free loan. 
and he did that. And I mean, interest rates, rates today are extraordinarily low, but back then they were around about 12%. So, you know, to get an interest-free loan uh, for you know, several hundred thousand dollars, you know, not having to pay that 12%, that, that was worth a great deal to the church, and we were very grateful. But it was, it was a loan. It, was, it wasn't a gift. And, and we always knew that at any point, this person could say, right, I've, I've given you this loan, it's interest-free, you, you, you've managed without having to pay any interest on it, but now I need it back. And, and that was the agreement we made with them, that, that at three months' notice, they, 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 they could simply call the loan back in. And they left it with us for, 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 for several years, and then their personal circumstances changed, and they, they did indeed call it in. And we had to suddenly you know, organize that, that we repaid the, 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 this interest-free loan to, loan to them. And when we did that, we needed to do that with really good grace and do that being really grateful for what we'd been given because this was always the deal. I mean, they had never given us the money. They had loaned the money. They had loaned it interest-free, and they could call it back at any time. We had fully agreed on that, and, and that's what, what had happened. Now, 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 could I say that that's kind of what Jesus has done for many of us? We have gone to him, and we said, Lord, I, I, I want to follow you. I see that you're king. I see that you're Messiah. You, you own my life. You own everything about me. I no longer have the title deeds to my life. And Jesus says, says thank you. I, I do have the title deeds carry on as you are. But at any point, the day can come when Jesus says, actually, I'm calling this in now. Now I want you to do this. Now I want you to do that. Now I want you to do the other thing. And at that point, you've got to take this deep breath and you've got to say, oh, that's right. Actually, I don't own my life. Actually, Jesus, you are the one in charge. Actually, Jesus, you can't ask anything of me. I mean, that's what this parable is saying. You know, to find the kingdom of heaven costs us everything. We, we no longer own it. But what we do have is we have Jesus who is in control of our life. And that is so much better. And I want you to notice something else about this parable. You see, let's just look at it again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. In his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I mean, the, the, the thing you get from these two parables is that there isn't a sense of, oh my, this is costly. Let me sit back and think about this. You want that and you want that and you want that and you want that and you want, oh no, 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 I, I don't think so. Couldn't we just, just bargain? I mean, can't I get the field and hold on to this? No, it's none of that. In his joy, in his joy, he sold everything he had and he went and he bought it. And the merchant goes and sells everything that he has and he buys the pool. And here's the thing. Both of them find that when they sell everything they've got, it is enough. It is enough. It is enough. It isn't as though either themselves everything and then they discover, oh my goodness, and I'm still 50 bucks short. You know, it's not like that. It's, I sell everything and God says, that's it. That's enough. I don't require from you what you do not have. I require from you what you do have. And what you do have is always enough. And they do it in their joy. You, 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 you see, and, and, and I say this sometimes to students at Vos. Uh, you know, so I was principal of Vos Seminary, and uh, one of the things I teach is, is preaching. And I say, you, you know, as a preacher, you can, you can preach law or you can pre preach grace. And I say to students, you can look at these parables and you can preach law from them. How, how would you be preaching law from these parables? Well, you'd be preaching law if you were looking at people and saying, are you willing to give up everything? It's very costly, you know. 
God demands everything from you. You can't hold on to anything for yourself. And, and you'd use the wagging finger. Have you given up everything? Have you surrendered everything? Because that's what's required and you can't actually be a follower of Jesus. I mean, that's law. It's like this heavy weight that you do. Or you can actually preach the story from grace and say, did you notice the extraordinary joy that they have? Did you notice that they can actually do it? Did you notice those things? You, you see, actually finding Jesus and, and living in the kingdom, that's the most joyful of all things, and you can do it. Uh, you, I've sometimes quoted the John Dutton poem, reaching, I can't reach far enough. So someone stretched out a hand, and someone put a nail in it. Reaching, can't reach far enough. So someone stretched out a hand, and someone put a nail in it. I mean, that's the message of the cross, isn't it? That God comes to us, and we can't manage the kingdom of God on our own. But we come and we say, here we are, Lord. And, and in our joy, as we offer ourselves to God, he says, that's enough. And Calvary has paid for everything. And I accept you, and you can follow me, and you can serve me. But yep, yep, I, I do not have the title rights to your life. And I can call them at any moment, but that's fine, because serving me is ultimately your greatest joy. Serving me is ultimately your greatest joy. Hey, let's, let's finish at a point where I came to earlier on. Is there something a little bit unfair about this parable? I'm not sure that it's unfair, but you, you, you do have to ask this question. So here's a man. There, we, we're told, we've spoken about the two characters. The man who buys treasure in the field. We've spoken about the, 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 the merchant who buys the pearl. But there are two other characters, aren't there? The man who owned the field and the man who owned the pearl. And we're not told a great deal about them, not told anything about them, but we just know that they were owned by someone else before. And I guess that implicit in this parable, there is a challenge as well. Something, you could have something so close at hand and not realize it. You could have something so close at hand and not actually realize it. You, you could have this field, and there could be treasure inside of it, and you could be stomping over it every day, not knowing that it's there. And it is just there if you would open your eyes and you would just look a little bit. And you could have been a merchant, and you could have said, I sell pearls, thank you, and not realize that you had this finest of all pearls there. You, you could be that person. And it's right at hand, and you're not actually noticing it. And I think that... Jesus is also saying, could it be, could it be that as you listen today, it's right there at hand and you've just not seen it? And God is saying that your searching can end, your searching can end because the kingdom of God has come, Jesus has come. And you can actually hand over control of your life to Jesus and you can find a whole new way of life. And you can find the forgiveness that God offers and the life that he offers and the purpose that he offers and the direction that he offers. Open your eyes and see that it is as close as saying, thank you, Jesus. Here I am. Won't you accept me? One, we pray together. Could be that there's some people here today who know all about that searching. Maybe you're searching right now. Jesus boldly said, I am the way, 
I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to God except through me. And he's saying to you, just commit yourself to me. And I will give you life and life in all its fullness. But open your eyes. Ask for my forgiveness. Ask that you may be my disciple. And I will say yes. Oh Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to you. Thank you that following you, for some it's been an easy journey, for some it's taken so long. But thank you, Jesus, that following you is indeed our greatest, greatest joy. Amen. Thank you.